What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details. Welcome to Ideation Collective. This is part two of our episode with Scott Stiles from Fair Employment Agency. I think that a lot of times with social entrepreneurs, the goal is to evoke some sort of emotion from your audience. And to me, I don't want that. I want them to say, no, duh, this, this is a complete, this solution totally makes sense. This is another episode of our innovation and leadership series, where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash Child Rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Scott, um, in our last episode, we talked about the type of abuse and the type of kind of predatory ways that some of the agencies in Hong Kong are going about uh, getting these these domestic workers and, and the different model that you guys are doing where you're not charging them the equivalent of four or five years of income in the Philippines to get the job. Um, and these type of things. Can we talk about, uh, you know, the funding to make this happen? Um, you know, I know that uh, you had a big, you had folks from a big $70 billion public finance firm as, as kind of encouraging you to get going off the beginning. What, what was that conversation like? Or what was that like to get going? Yeah, so it, it's, it's kind of wild. We, I, I, I heard about this problem and this, this idea for an agency from my now co-founder, um, who before I, I came out to Hong Kong in an internship, he told me about the problem and we talked about the idea of an agency. And I think he'd been thinking about it for a while. And so when I went back to school at BYU Hawaii, I wrote up a business plan and I sent it out and he sent it to his network and it got into some, the hands of some, some of these guys at, at one, of these big, one of these big banks. And they, uh, they, put, they basically said, yeah, if you come do this, we'll fund you. And so I actually never talked to them. <laughs> um, I just heard that they would fund us and they just like, I was pretty confident that they would if we got in front of them. And so we moved out here and uh, we didn't want to, you know, we, we didn't want to ask for money prematurely either. We wanted to have kind of our ducks in a row. And so we moved out here. My partners put up the initial money to kind of help for me to get my family settled here. Um, and then from there, we we just started cranking. And so we went in. Honestly, I've probably had the easiest fundraising path of anybody. I think my first fundraising meeting was about 20 minutes and we got i think 75,000 US and then subsequent meetings have been 
about that long. Um, and I've so, ba- another... so basically, we all hate you now. I just want to bring that up. I just, if we can <laughs> no, get that been, out there. It's, yeah, no, it's just that's the thing is that I, I, that's something that I can't identify with. I think that it's been easy for us because we've been lucky. But I also think it's easy for us because we're not coming in and, and we're talking about like a real solution, which gets people excited. And I think that a lot of these banks and financial institutions, they have people who are comfortable with risk. And so the, they actually, and this one in particular, does a great job of letting their people and encouraging their people to, to give charitably and take risk when they're, do, when they're doing it. And so I actually, I think we got really lucky. Um, but then the message seems to resonate with, with different people. So um, what I really think about that is, you know, you read these books like, um, I don't know, Crossing the Chasm, and they talk about product market fit and these ideas of coming up with something that resonates so well with, with the folks, whether it's a customer or an investor that we're, we're trying to get to part with money, coming up with something that fits so well with what they're looking for um, that, that it isn't a hard choice for them. And, you know, I, I think that's one of my things that I've enjoyed the most about getting to know you a little bit is this idea of kind of letting your results do the talking. And it's not all crystal ball, future, forward-looking, I promise, I promise stuff. It's, well, we are, you know, like we let's let's talk about um, you recently raising money and and how because for two hundred grand invested you guys have already le- you know had two million dollars stay in the Philippines um, can we can we talk about kind of your recent wins here yeah um, so so it's it's been pretty much the same and the cool so this is like the neat thing about what we're building and I think like even our like with our staff and everybody that we work with is it us raising funds has been because we've had results, right? So the people who are processing visas are just as much a part of this whole process and our success for us, um, which I think a lot of times charities and nonprofits, it's kind of, they have like a charismatic leader at the top, right? And I don't feel like that's the kind of our, our bread and butter. <laughs> um, I feel like it's the fact that we can come in and say, hey, we've executed, we did what we said we would do. Um, and, and when you, when you're doing that, especially in the social enterprise space where, you know, we want to see success so badly that we declare things successful maybe before they're there. And I, honestly, I think we have a long ways to go. Um, but, but I think that we are seeing early signs of success. And so, you know, to me, or, you know, recently our, our fundraising efforts have been pretty straightforward. Um, a really cool experience that we had. There was a, a financial institution that said, hey, will you come? They, they'd given us some money, um, and they said, hey, will you come speak at this event? It's a, it's a lunch for, for bankers. Um, and right, you know, an hour before, they said, well, they told me ahead of time, like, hey, nobody, just so you know, this is the one hour that they can be on their Blackberries, so nobody's going to listen, but, but just be ready for it. And I said, okay, cool. So, <laughs> so I show up, and uh, yeah, nobody was, you know, I start talking, and Nobody's listening except for the guy in the very front who um, happens to be uh, one of the co-founders of, of one of the big peer-to-peer lending firms and um, very, very successful entrepreneur has started something up in China that's similar. Um, and so he, uh, he was the only person listening. And the funny thing is, is there's this room with three or 400 people and everybody's on their Blackberries. And I just started really focusing on him and kind of talking to him. And when I got done, I he came over and approached me and said, hey, you know, I want to talk to you. Um, I want to, can we go to... Oh, Scott. Hello. Scott, can you hear me? Yes, I can okay. hear you. I, I lost you there for a second. Let's edit that out. So go back to at the event, the guy said, 
Hey, can we, can we talk afterwards? Yeah. So, uh, so he, he asked me to go to dinner. Um, and so we met and we sat down and he just said, he said, is this real? Like, are you the real deal? And I said, yeah, I, th- I think, I think we are. Um, and so he committed to give us a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and so just, he said, well, what do you need? And I told him what my needs were and he said, all right, I'll give you a hundred grand and I'll, you know, help you with some of your IT needs and, and kind of meeting some of the, the holes that you have with your team. And so to me, it's, it's just exciting when you, when people get it right, they, they understand that this is, this can really be a business. And from a position of a business, we actually have a unique opportunity to like guide the market and guide, even kind of consult and talk with governments and guide them on, on what they can do. So, um, when you, when you think about, um, what it is that you had done in preparation to get that kind of a response, um, as the rest of us who are maybe, whether we're trying to land a big account or they're trying to land an investor, what are kind of some of the principles that you think were going in your favor to be able to get that kind of a response? Huh. Um, I think that, well, like I'm not, I'm not a terribly polished public speaker. Um, but, but I think that I'm me and I think that I, a lot of times people will try to kind of guide you in a certain way and a certain type of professionalism that suits them. Uh, but, but to me, I just has felt really inauthentic when I've done it. And so I did prepare, just did some basic, you know, speech prep stuff before I was giving that. I was actually, I was preparing for a talk, a different talk that was almost exactly the same speech. And so I was prepared going in. Um, but I also think that, you know, I don't try to evoke emotion with people, I think is one of the big differences. I think that a lot of times with social entrepreneurs, the goal is to evoke some sort of emotion from your audience. And to me, I don't want that. I want them to say, no, duh, this, this is a complete, this solution totally makes sense. I don't want them to say, oh my gosh, this is the saddest thing. Cause it is very sad, but the opportunity is, is really exciting, um, for what can be changed. And so I want people to leave that knowing that and feeling like, there actually is a solution for it instead of, you know, focusing on the problem. Well, I, I can tell you from personal experience that that's probably a really smart thing to do. When we were working on child rescue, I think for like the, you know, we, we started like with some volunteers at the end of 2009 and we did a bunch of like telling people the horror stories of child trafficking. And it was like, uh, people would be like, Oh, that's so terrible. That's, that's crazy. But it was like the dads would just say, you know, give me a gun. I'll shoot these guys myself. And the moms would like, you know, curl up in the fetal position. Right. And like (laughs) months of this, like six months of this later, we really hadn't made any traction. And we accidentally started talking about a success story. We were having this, um, woman, uh, named Natasha Herzig, who's a trafficking survivor come teach about 285 police officers and FBI agents and parole officers. And, we, we were having her speak at the lunch and we started talking about how NYPD had rescued her and how now she's married to a cop and has, you know, at the time had a three-year-old and, and was like, had put her life back together after, you know, significant healing time and stuff. And all of a sudden people are like, that's amazing. How do I help out? Can I get a, can I be a, and it was like success, this like cliche about success breeds success was like, it was so that way for us of like, all of a sudden when people found out we were, something was possibly going to be better. We didn't all just have to sit around and be depressed about it. Like we had so much help come out of the woodwork. I mean, it was later on that year. We, we threw that big concert in Utah with dashboard confessional and neon trees and these 20 bands that Lindsay produced for us. And 
Lindsay got 200 volunteers to come run that concert. Yeah. It was like her and one part-time staff and 200 volunteers, you know? And, uh, that's crazy. Right. So, yeah, that's just nuts. Um, but, but no, right. But when you focus on the positive, like people are excited about it, right? Like it feels the world is trained to cause fear right now, right? Like me, everybody is trying to create fear and sadness. Um, but like, if you, if you like, think about how exciting it is that you did this as part of your life, right? You changed that person's life. Like that's, that's something to be excited about, well, not something to be sad about. Yeah. I'm not, that one, we didn't do the change, but that was what got us the kind of, um, momentum to get going. And it's funny is actually Lindsay is Lindsay is the one she, she's one of the other guests. She's had a previous episode on here. Now she has like, you know, Hugh Jackman as, and his wife is one of her, their charities, her client in the United Nations. She does all this fancy stuff. Right. But back when she used to not be on our board, but used to run child rescue for us, she like, I mean, she was just at a, at a, a university event at U, Utah Valley university, speaking with some police officers and said, Hey, if anybody in this room is having this happen to them, or you know someone who it is, you know, come talk to us afterwards and we can help. And this girl came to the front. She waited for everyone to leave. She's like literally the last one in the room. And she comes up and says, I've had a family member, you know, sending me to school during the day and renting me out at night. And it's still happening while I'm in college and I don't want to go home anymore. And Lindsay was like, <laughs> gives her a hug and like walks her over to the cops right there. And she didn't have to go home that night. And wow. our organization never would have been around long enough for that to have happened. That was the first, that's the first actual case we helped, you know? Um, but we wouldn't have been around long enough to even that have that have had that happen if we hadn't learned how to talk about the success side instead of just how horrific the terribleness was. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. Like that's, but that, that person's life is so significantly different, you know, like it's amazing. Well, um, let's talk about this other thing you're doing with Macquarie bank and, and some of the other big names that, uh, you're, you're getting some influence with and, and helping change the mindsets. Yeah, cool. So, so what we're doing, one of the things that we're working on right now is called the fair hiring pledge. Um, this was basically our go to market strategy for the original business plan that I wrote up. And basically the, the idea behind it is that, wow, I'm saying basically a lot. Um, the idea behind it is that big companies, encourage their employees to hire domestic workers ethically. And so the idea is we, we were going to do this when we launched the company, but we had too much business from the beginning and we just had to get all of our ducks in a row and get the execution in place before we went out and, and marketed it. And so um, we, we went and approached Macquarie Bank, which is a big Australian bank, and they, uh, they funded it. And basically what we're doing is we're going to these big companies they're going to be public signers. We have companies like uh, Barclays, Thomson Reuters, LexisNexis, um, Shangri-La Hotel Group, um, some pretty big names, especially in, in Asia. And they, they sign publicly saying they encourage their employees to hire ethically. And then we come in and provide training to their companies on what it means to hire ethically. And what, you know, what are the things to look out for with the, the agencies that are, that are unethical or, or wrong? And so we've started those, those trainings and we're officially launching the pledge on the 4th of November. Um, and so there should hopefully be some press for it, but it's the idea is that we can engage big companies because this is this also this kind of this unidentified liability for a lot of them. Uh, there was a case last year from an Uber and Airbnb executives that were, that had allegedly abused their, their domestic worker in, in the Bay Area. And it was all over the news, but it's not tied back to that person. It's saying Uber and Airbnb executives. And so companies 
with the way they need to be concerned about their images, this is kind of this looming risk that they have to start to identify. And so we approached their executives about it and we've gotten a really good response. We've actually, we've, the biggest reason why people have told us no is just because their timeline of getting through their kind of legal approval process is too long. But we have about 20 companies that have agreed to receive trainings in their, in their offices. And so, and we're talking about basically the biggest companies <laughs> in the world um, that we're, we're able to work with on this. And so, by the way, it's if, there's, exciting. if there's anybody listening, I mean, we've had previous guests on here from Facebook and Adobe and these type of organizations. If somebody like that wants to get in touch with you and, and wants to, you know, put their stamp on, you know, we care about all people, we want to be a part of this. What, what's the best way for them to reach out to you and become a part of something like this? Send me an email at scott at fairagency.org. Great. Um, so when you think about, um, the type of effect that has, when you've got organizations with that kind of weight, um, what, what have your conversations with them been like? Like I'm assuming it's gotta be really encouraging to feel like, you know, these people are willing to stick their brand name on an, on an initiative like this and that they're willing to stand up and, and, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with making money for them directly, but it, it sure does have a lot to do with people's perception of their brand. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, it's something that I'm really proud of. Um, we put a lot of work into how we message ourselves and how we come across as, as problem solvers and, you know, not attacking governments and things. And so when we're able to go meet with them and say, hey, we're on the side of just solving this thing. We don't have any kind of we don't have a dog in the fight as far as like politically what happens or, you know, we're not nagging at this person or that. They, they've bought into it really quickly. And I think a lot of times we want to vilify these big companies um, but there's so many good people within them though. Right. And so I think that the problem with big companies is that, you know, they just have so many conflicting interests at any given time. And so I think that in general, people are pretty awesome. And I think that people are who run companies usually. And so they've, we've gotten really good feedback from them and, um, really good support. That's great to hear. Um, can you talk about that interaction? You know, there's a lot of people that would like to work with organizations of that caliber. Can you talk about just ways that you interact with those organizations and, and ways that you, I don't know, just try to treat them like a human and, and invite that type of respect back rather than using them for their brand name or anything like that? Yeah, no. So, so for me, I, I, I'm, I just think that the biggest thing is to just be comfortable and be you with whoever you're meeting with. Um, I don't necessarily try to change my pitch or change what I talk about based on the person that, I mean, I may, they may have a certain angle that they want to hear a story from, but in general, it's about being confident in, in what you believe and, and what you think, what the benefits are to them and articulating that clearly. I think a lot of times too, people want to sell everything as benefiting the company when, especially in like the nonprofit world, you want to like have this very elaborate pitch as to how it benefits a company. But really, a lot of times they just want to do good. <laughs> and, the, and the people who are in those positions, when they hear about that they can do good um, from their position of power, they're excited about it. And so I think that my big thing is that you don't need to try to oversell it as, you know, try to justify it. Most of these companies just want to do good. And when they hear an opportunity to do that, they're interested. But my, my guess is with that type of attitude, if you're approaching them with that assumption about them, mm -hmm. rather than maybe some sort of skeptical, you know, like your person, you know, cause there's plenty of people whose perspective is, you know, anybody to organize like organization like this is only interested in money and you're only doing this for the PR. And 
you know, especially nonprofit leaders, there's many who haven't necessarily spent any time in the for-profit world. And um, it's not it's not as obvious to them that these are just a regular person trying to do something good that happens to be able to have the signing power for a big organization, you know? Um, any, any other advice for people, you know, when you say just be you, that's, uh, for someone who, who doesn't know what that means or doesn't know how to do that. What are, what are the things you can tell yourself to, to be authentic? Okay. Well, actually I can, I'd like to address something for the first part of that question. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So so the, so the common, many times people say, okay, well, I want to do, I want to work with big company X. I should talk to their corporate social responsibility, right? The problem or their corporate social responsibility or community engagement or whatever they call it, uh, philanthropy. Now, the issue is there's a lot of companies where those people have very specific kind of metrics and things that make them successful in their jobs. And whereas, and they, those are going to tend to be short, more short term, right? It's how many volunteer hours they've given out, how many dollars they've given away. Those are going to kind of be shorter term metrics. But so my advice is to start on the business side of them. So you talk to the highest level person you can within a company. um, And that person is actually, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but the CEO has the longest view in the room, right? So their goal is to create value 15, 20, 30 years from now. Now, you know, signing a pledge saying you encourage your employees to hire ethically, there's not an immediate return in six months on your brand for that, right? So, so that's not something that maybe is going to fit into the corporate social responsibility person's realm always, right? A lot of times their realm is going to kind of be more short term. So the, my advice is to talk to the highest level executive you can who's going to say, okay, well, we need to start to engage on social issues because – Frankly, millennials are this group of people that we, you know, we're trying to understand better, but we know that it's important that we focus on social issues, right? And so to me, I think that it's it's focusing on the business side and then things can get carried over to the social responsibility. Now, there are organizations that really have empowered social responsibility groups and community engagement, but for the most part, I would advise people to talk to the business side first. You know, I'm not sure that's the most common advice, but but uh, I think it's great advice. Um, you know, some standard questions, changing gears a little bit here, we like to ask people, one of them is um, books. Do you have any go-to books that you think uh, entrepreneurs or innovators or social leaders should be reading these days? Yeah, um, I, I like uh, Building Social Business by Mohammed Yunus. So um, it's, it's the guy who invented, he really kind of built microfinance to what it is today and micro... Um, microcredit, microloans, savings groups. Um, that's a big one that I, that I really advise people to read because it, it kind of fits with my ethos of like business being a cause for good. Yeah, that's great. Um, when it comes to um, affecting the world, you guys have obviously got some traction. What, what advice would you give us for child rescue and our work trying to get more people involved in protecting kids? I guess the, the hard part of that is I guess uh, what, are the, what are the challenges? Where, where do you, where do you see yourselves right now? Sure. I mean, one of them is, um, is, you know, funding. We could always, we could be a part of more kids, um, getting help, uh, if we were better funded. So if we were, you know, knowing what kind of work we're doing, whether it's the prevention campaigns, you know, at high schools and colleges by high school and college kids or building an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru, or helping fund undercover rescue missions or pay for police trainings, um, if you were help, if you were giving us marketing advice on 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 increasing funding, what's what would you say? 
I, well, I, I'm a fan of trying to just get a hold of the right people and explain explain the the value proposition to them. I mean, to me, fundraising is is one of those things where if people have a really good grasp on on their business, then it, it's usually pretty easy. But I, I have a hard time with the standard forms of fundraising that a lot of people do, um, just because they're not as efficient. So I'm I'm sorry, I don't have great advice on for you. <laughs> we could talk a lot longer, and I'm sure we could we could go back and forth. Sure. <laughs> when you think about marketing the issue, I mean, you you are making progress on this idea of you know help people not get exploited. Um, mm-hmm. We're working on a different kind of, of preventing exploitation. Any advice you'd have for us in messaging? I'd, I'd stay positive. I'd stay. I'd focus on the on the opportunities and focus on what those people are going to be doing 10 years down the road when you've helped them, you know, heal their lives and put them back together. Um, cause I think that's what people get excited about. And I think that's what, to me, that's what I get excited about. And that's what I want to give to and, and be part of. That's great. Um, another question here we like to ask people is, um, is there anyone from early in your life or early in your career that you feel like really set the example for you on how to treat others? It's a really good question. Um, yeah, I would say probably my mom. Uh, she's. It's funny because growing up, I never, I didn't really see myself and her as being very similar. And then I got to be 27, and it's like in the last year, I've just realized how similar we are, and how we kind of think about people and how we communicate. Um, and just you know, she she worked really hard to let us to have us understand that. People usually are, are good at heart and that, you know, if people are different than you, then that's that's OK. Um, you know, she would take us. We lived in, in Valencia in the L.A. area and she would take us downtown. And it was it was honestly like a social exercise for her to have us you know, walk around in the areas where people didn't look like us and didn't act like us. Um, we're from different, you know, nationalities, but also had different value systems and when we were quick to judge people, when I would judge people when I was little, I'd say something about, oh, that person, you know, is doing something that I don't, that I, that I think is wrong. She would walk me back through how it's not wrong to that person <laughs> and how I shouldn't judge them. Whereas most parents are, are quick to say, oh, that person is, is, you know, acting inappropriately. She would actually try to justify their actions for me. And so I just think she's, my, she's a pretty unique person. Um, I've just, in the last year, I've realized how much I am like her and how, well, Sorry, it sounded like I just complimented myself. How much I want to be like her, I should say, um, is, is probably the best explanation. You know, I, I'm thinking about doing a thing for Mother's Day and Father's Day next year because it, it's amazing to me what a percentage of folks on the show, whether it's uh, you know elite special forces soldiers or CEOs or musicians, how many of them it is having a mom or a dad um, uh who, who really set that example. So I'm not surprised, but uh, that's great to hear. Um, listen, any other advice you'd have for someone else who wants to get out there and do something big, things that you feel like um, maybe you hadn't learned until you'd done it, your, you know, until you'd got started yourself or anything, or what, what would you tell people? Um, just get, just be a magnet for talent. You know, it's, you can be a magnet for talent, just bring in as many talented people as you can. And then, work with the ones that will put in a significant commitment. I think, you know, there's a lot of people that want to give advice and a lot of it's well-intentioned advice, but if people aren't willing to commit and really be part of it, uh, I wouldn't always listen to it. (laughs) Um, 
but then once you have really talented people, it, it, things get really easy. And so that's one. And then also just be willing to take the risk of investing in people and getting things off your desk so that you can help build. And I think that's the that's what's happened. You know, the first year of our business, I just had my head down basically doing placements, trying to learn the business so that then I could take a step back and really understand it. And so that first year was was hard, but it, I learned a lot. And then we've since hired people to do that and do more, you know, a lot of the different things that get done, um, which has allowed me to really focus on growing things. I love it. Um, well, I appreciate all the time you've made. Uh, we'd love to hear about other successes as you guys have them. You know, check in with us. We'd love to let everybody know. Um, and, and your website. If people want to learn more about you, what's your website? Um, they can go to fairagency.org. Great. Okay, well, thanks for making so much time for us today. All right, take care. Bye. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website, iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash child rescue. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.